Presidings Podcast is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman applies electromagnetic maneuver warfare to seamlessly target and combat enemy threats across any domain. By leveraging traditional spectrum-based and next-generation innovations, they're giving your forces a decisive advantage. That's why they're a leader in transformative airborne EW. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com slash EW. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Director of Outreach and Marketing at the Naval Institute. Joining me is my co-host, Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine for what could be the final episode of our fantastic time we've had here at Tailhook 2019. Live from the floor, the exhibition floor here at the Nugget in Reno. It's been a good couple of days, Bill. Yeah, episode five for Tailhook. Uh, definitely a different vibe today than yesterday. It's like Hendrix at Woodstock. Everybody's gone. Right? <laughs> it's uh, the, the the big boys are already tearing down their booze. Although right. it technically doesn't end for another two and a half hours. Yep. But these guys are pretty much out the door. Uh, but it's been a great show. It's been a great really show. Is. We've had a lot of conversations with the fleet. We're back in touch with the people here um, on the TAC Air side, and uh, I think we'll probably not to get ahead of ourselves, but we'll probably be back again next year. Definitely be back next year. Okay, definitely. There you go. Yeah, it's, okay. it's I've got the authority right. to say that. All right, done deal. Yeah. So um, before we get to our guests, uh, we were just talking a minute ago. It just came from a JO panel of, of uh, lieutenants from all the different weapon schools. So Top Gun, uh, Strike Fighter Weapon School, Atlantic Pacific, the Havoc Weapon School. Uh, which is the Growler community, the, uh, the Growler Center of Excellence, Growler Center of Excellence, yeah. the um, the guys that do uh, helicopter training out at, uh, at at Nautic, at Fallon, also the E2 Weapon School. Guy. So anyway, Top Dome, Top Dome across across the the spectrum of naval aviation, you know, probably the finest lieutenants or some of the finest lieutenants, right? The theme question seemed to be at the start: Are we ready for the pure fight? And the unanimous. Uh, answer from all those lieutenants was no we're not ready for the pure fight I just thought that was fascinating if not shocking it, it, shocking right. yeah all the above right? it's like speak truth to power here yeah. we are right Beautiful. much lieutenants saying we're not ready for the pure fight so uh, we can sort of finish you know go move on with that conversation with our two guests we've got uh, Lieutenant Commander Andrew Gennetti and Lieutenant Commander Renato DePaulis and Renato you were here with us uh, two days ago talking about the article that you guys both wrote that we published last week, um, A Modern Force, What Happened to Talent Management. You guys want to take that uh, one step farther today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks for having both of us on. I think it's uh, much more here. appropriate to have uh, Andrew and myself Yeah, so here. explain why he wasn't on the last show, because you, you were here a couple of days ago with your talent management uh, episode 104, I think. I think so. Um, and he was stuck at the airport, or what happened there? Well, let me let me take this one since this is probably the first and only opportunity I'll have to know something that Renato <laughs> doesn't. But uh, no, it's just uh, the Nalo out of Woodby was was a little bit. Oh, delayed, Nalo, okay, so, the yeah. Nalo out of Woodby. So I, to that point, so one of the manifestations that Tailhook is back is Nalos, right? So I don't know, is this the first year that they've done Nalo, or how how long they've, have, has it been since they? I think they were doing it two years ago support. when I was here, yeah. but the but Naval, Naval year, Air Logistics Office, right? This year is notable for they, they did get the Nalo from Japan, so yeah. there's a pretty large representation of our four deployed Naval Forces, right? Including exactly. VFA 102. I was a Diamondback back in the day. VAQ 141, which is my alma mater. Okay, great. Yeah. Yes, fantastic. So yeah, I mean they're coming in from all over the world, many time zones. In fact, I talked to one female. Uh, 
Wizzo uh, from the Diamondbacks, and her body clock at the time was at 9 a.m. And this was in, you know, she was all, all discombobulated. Yeah. So, and she already had a beer in her hand. It was really cool. Um, so, anyway. So, talent management, force management, and uh, how do we make the Navy better? Uh, Naval aviation or, or writ large? What, what's on your yeah, mind? Yeah, so set it up for us because uh, we talked about the initial sort of step that you guys are thinking about, and now you want to take it sort of more broadly and more comprehensive. Yeah, so what we'd like to uh, discuss today is really just provide a little bit more context to where we were coming from. When we wrote the uh, the Manpower article and, and hopefully try and provide uh, some insight into to where we want to go with this concept and, and to link the man, train, equip uh, deficiencies that we see with uh, the fix that we envision. Okay. Yeah, and it really does tie to what just came out of the last panel, right? They were all asked a question, and oftentimes when the question is asked, do you think we can go and fight the pier when you're in a crowd of uh, like-minded individuals and you're really excited to be a part of naval aviation, you will maybe dishonestly say something such as, yeah, no, we're definitely going to win because our, our will is strong and we're Americans and we're always going to win. And so a lot of our critical thinking, uh, Andrew and I and a number of other folks, obviously it's a current throughout naval aviation right now, have, are starting to step up, have the intestinal fortitude to be honest with our, our thoughts, as well as be honest with what we actually believe, uh, where we need, excuse me, where, where we believe we need to go in order to win. And so, talent management is not just about you know making manpower fit reps better. It's about uh, inspiring culture. It's about uh, looking at how we do talent management, man, uh, portion of that man train equip, and then and then train uh, certainly. We'll, we'll like to talk a couple about those topics and then certainly equip how we look at our acquisition process, how we maximize our resources uh, in order to win. So I think totally appropriate for how the last conversation went in the last panel. And I'll let Andrew uh, kind of kick it off for us. All right. So what we were talking about for, for human resourcing or, or talent management, as, as we defer, uh, refer to it, is, you know, these principles that guide us uh, in, in those three different, you know, we'll call them competencies of, of uh, naval administration, uh, leadership, the, the manning, the training, the equipping, the, the underlying currents that we see, the, the, uh, the thresholds, the objective measures to, to guide those principles are not translatable to the other, right? So uh, what PERS uses to, to fill billets, the, the metrics, the qualifications, you know, the, the background uh, of the personnel that they use to screen, they don't necessarily match the same performance metrics or the same uh, resource metrics that our acquisition community uses. And they're certainly not the same uh, metrics that the training communities use. And so what we have are these, these disparate columns uh, that are supposed to be holistic in nature, right? It's manning, it's training, and equipping. But really what they are is they, they're stovepipe fed by separate metrics that are at some points incompatible with each other. Uh, so step one would be try and create this, this holistic program uh, that enables one and the other to be compatible with each other and then slave to, to essentially the same performance metrics and those performance metrics must be informed by what is required to defeat the threat, right? And so, you know, we do a decent job in acquisition by, by benchmarking what the threat is and what is required uh, to material solution-wise to parry that threat, but we certainly haven't done that in the, the manning and the training aspect of it. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the underlying current that we, we hope to kind of continue to push forward when, uh, in, in future uh, articles. So you gave an example off mic the other day. We, t- we were talking uh, later in, in the day because uh, uh, I was saying, like, okay, so give me an example, right? Give me a concrete example. And you, you picked a, uh, a naval aviator who was going to an acquisitions job, uh, and he was a growler pilot, but he had been an LSO. 
right? So landing signals officer, that's a, a critical position, but maybe not the right qualifications for that particular job. And the, the detailer was just, okay, I got to fill, a, a, you know, an aviator into this job uh, and, and perhaps not the, not the right fill. And you guys are, it sounds like you're seeing that not, not just, you know, individually and, and uh, sporadically, but more often than, than perhaps the... We'll touch yeah, Bill, I'll, t- I'll take that one. Bill. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I tend to be the controversial figure. All right. So uh, it's, it's really, again, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's at all different levels. And so by not necessarily matching previously, and again, it's not to be, to be cliche with this, previously invested skills bought and paid for by the taxpayer, which I think I know that I take very seriously. I think we all do. And when we think about it, we take a step back and think about it, not expending what was invested in that individual in the, in the most optimum way. So it's not about the, that particular individual, that particular individual or any other individual has a, set, a certain set of inherent skills that the military, that our services need to maximize. And this goes into acquisition too, which we'll talk to in a moment about maximization of resources. Because that's what we are, right? Uh, for, as, a, as a naval officer, any naval personnel, we are a resource for, as a government, as an instrument of war for our country and or diplomacy. So the way I look at it is that, yes, so even at the lieutenant level, sometimes we don't do that. At the 04 level, post-department head level, we don't actually maximize those skills. And what you end up doing is you leave intellectual capital on the table, you have a lack of continuity in those positions, which is inefficient by nature, and corporations that are inefficient tend to lose ground in their marketplace. And so we are actually losing ground in our marketplace, which is against the peer threat. They have no regard for the, a lot of the bureaucratic things that we have. Not to say that other countries don't have bureaucracies, but when you have another country who's willing to steal intellectual capital, steal intellectual property, has no regard for an acquisition cycle, is going to do, use take things off the shelf no matter what it is, they're probably going to translate that same concept to how they maximize their use of their personnel. And so those principles need to inform the way that we guide and manage talent in the, in the Navy. And that's really the example that I was trying to provide there. Uh, but thanks for bringing it up, Bill. Okay. So what, what are the other elements here? And yeah. the other thing, as we talk about where we want to go, what are the constraints in terms of how parts you're talking about don't seamlessly integrate? What would we have to do to the Bureau? What would we have to do to the funding streams? You know, things that um, sound, and I don't want to diminish the idea here, but, you know, getting from the paradigm to the great horizon is about the innovation that's doable, that's executable. What were the other elements uh, that, that, that you guys were, were are, are talking about? Because you, you have a, a broad plan for rolling this out um, and then talking to leadership and, and that sort of thing. And, and we're kind of, with this episode of the podcast, we're, we're ahead of what we normally do, which is this is the idea before you've written something that's been in proceedings. So what are the other things that we got to do to make make this happen? Yeah, so we certainly do intend to provide tangible uh, um, recommendations. Uh, however, at this point, prior to even getting to that level of specificity, we need to focus on changing the culture that got us to this point to begin with. So, you know, we can list all these different fixes to be, you know, from, from A to, to Z, uh, but unless the culture that absorbs that information is ready and willing to do so, I don't think those fixes will be implemented. So what, what we are going to focus on is continue to hamper on what our leadership does say, which is war fighting first. We fly, we fight, we lead, we win. Uh, we are going to continue to impress upon uh, our readers, uh, your readers, that that needs to be from every level implemented uh, bottom to top and, and top to bottom. 
And really what it boils down to is one of my favorite quotes, which uh, Renato just recently introduced me to, which is uh, Bill Belichick, by the way, of Nick Saban. He says, mediocrity and, uh, and excellence aren't compatible, right? So mediocre people like mediocre people and excellent people like excellent people. But excellent people don't like mediocre people and mediocre people don't like excellent people. And so what we need to do is we need to ensure There's that... There's a lot of tension there. Yeah, there is, you know, so... Uh, and, and, it runs with every and squadron a, I've ever been in. <laughs> and the context of the quote is uh, Nick Saban is talking to essentially preseason to, to his team. He's like, hey, your job right now is just to get a spot on the bus. Uh, you know, it's, it's not based on your performance yet. It's based on your willingness to be a part of the team. Uh, and so what we want to impress upon people is like, hey, let's just focus on, on getting the bus straight. Let's just focus on getting the right people uh, that's part of the culture. And, and we need to shape our culture so that we don't actually allow mediocrity anymore. We need to be a culture of excellence that, that doesn't uh, and, and is incompatible with, with mediocrity. And once we shape that culture of excellence, and then, then we can start to work on the specifics. We can start to work on budgetary constraints. We can start to work on how we do acquisition quicker. How do, how do we do speed to the fleet better? We can work on how do we define tangibly those performance, uh, those those measures of performance, enslave them, no kidding, to the peer threat and what's required to win that peer threat. But cart before the horse, we have to change the war fighting culture first. So here we are today. Yep. Right? We leave Tailhook and we go back to the world. What What is the first thing that we need to do to start moving towards that changing the culture? Well, we're certainly going to continue to contribute by writing. Uh, so okay, that, that's sure. the, you know that's how we feel our voice is best maximized. Okay, uh, and you walk into a squadron again, like right where leaders in our squadron, and how do you inspire that next uh, crop of individuals uh, to 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 want to prioritize excellence, disregard some of the administrative burdens that are out there, uh, and focus on what is the bottom line, right? So we're both uh, weapons tactics instructors in our community, growler tactics instructors in our community, uh, and so we have a squadron. Whether we're in maintenance phase or not, we're gonna look to continue to build that focus and emphasis on warfighting. But, you know, maybe giving a, a quick... I mean, do you enjoy your CO's support with respect to that? Yeah, and, and I think that's key. And so one of the things we're talking about with culture is breaking down this this culture where commanding officers don't necessarily feel empowered to prioritize warfighting and then simply reward it. You know, you have a lot of... It was brought up in the last panel. It was just very appropriately said by uh, Meatwad, Meatwad yep. from, uh, from Nautic. He nailed it. He absolutely nailed it, which is you have commanding officers which have to be worry, worried about getting fired because of DUIs in the squadron uh, than it is necessarily by, by being graded on some objective metric as it relates to their tactical leadership of that squadron, that tactical capability of that squadron. And we, maybe when you talk to flag officers, they may simply say, no, we want you to be the best warfighting. But in the end, you see the commanding officer, it, it, it's a command climate because you have too many DUIs. Candidly, I don't care. Like, you're not going to change bad apples all the time, and this isn't a social welfare organization in which we're going to do so, right? And and in the end, you can only set up policies and practices and implement them and stand by certain, you know, honor, courage, and commitment as much as you want. But there's going to be people that are going to make bad decisions. You can't prevent every bad decision. But we have what ends up happening, and I don't want to say our leaders all do it because it's not many of, not all of them, but it's leading by fear. It's leading by other things. It was brought up in the, uh, the flag panel yesterday, which is uh, the use of the IG system as a weapon. And people were, were very afraid to respond to that. I'm a lawyer. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up. I almost wish I stood up, but there wasn't enough time yesterday. Those kind of things, um, although very important, and that institution of the, uh, of the IG is important, it can be used as a weapon, but it also creates things like guilty till proven innocent, which we have basically uh, inversions, of, uh, inversions of policies and, and, and things that you want in our culture that are kind of invading it and corroding our focus on warfighting. So 
Those are maybe extreme examples. However, they are uh, appropriate examples that were brought up in the past couple of days that are distracting from leaders' ability to empower warfighting in units, as well as all the administrative burdens, which there's almost too many to name. I mean, you talk about NMCI, sometimes, some days, it takes 25, 45 minutes to log into NMCI because it's doing some crazy update, okay? And then someone will come in and tell you, you have to call up somebody, find out what, what's going on. There's another 30 minutes of your life that's gone, okay? Well, guess what? I had to fly an hour and a half after I got to work, even though I showed up at 6 o'clock in the morning because I got a brief at 7.30. And now I didn't get the email out. But then so when I come back from that flight, I still have that, that email or other thing that needed to be done or, or answered to that's still hanging out. So I can't focus on other things, keep moving the, the peanut forward. And so these things start to build and they mount, they mount up. We have to be leaders, but we have a lot of things that are getting in our way. And I think that's where things start immediately. And, it, and it's about uh, our, our committing officers being fully empowered and there being examples of, you know what? Yep, your squadron got five DUIs. You're probably not. You're not getting fired if, if you were, you know, basically being a good leader. But you can't prevent these things. So I do have a, a, a put your money where your mouth is. Uh, okay. Essentially, example of how Renato specifically has been changing uh, the culture from the ground the ground up. So he shows up to VAQ 133 as a the, the junior department head, and the status quo is junior department head uh, sit down, shut up, take the Abino job or the safety O job, and kind of just wait for your turn. Uh, Renato rolls right in and says, nope, I'm implementing this new concept called the tactics department head. Our commanding officer implemented the concept. Well, hold on. I was going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, now, I'm not saying that the tactics department head is... But it was is, your recommendation? I mean, what, where, what was the, the yeah. catalyst for this? So there are other communities and there are precedences for tactics department head, but the catalyst is re- Renato recognized that there's, uh, there's, a, there's a gap in emphasis on, uh, on leadership of, of tactics, right? So he said, I want to be on par with the OPSO and the MO." And I went with tactics right next to the admin. And so what he did with conjunction uh, of our commanding officer was, you know, he helped rewrite the SORM, which was signed and approved by the commanding officer to put tactics on the par with that admin. Uh, and so what that frees up directly is the training officer, who's myself, uh, the oncoming training officer, no longer needs to really worry about the administrative burden that comes with implementing some sort of training syllabus, because that is now implemented and, and, and covered by the tactics department head, who is a peer to the Abino and the Perza, or uh, not the Perza, the Abino, the Mo, uh, and the Opso. And so really what that, that does is just takes one layer away, uh, of administrative burden away from the tactical implementation of, or the implementation of a tactical training syllabus. Uh, our hope is that that catches fire, and I'm already slated. So he does not work for the OPSO? He does. I do not work for okay. the OPSO as okay. the training officer. I work okay. for the tactics department head, which is a, a shift in the way that VAQ uh, does business. And yeah. it is catching fire. I'm slated to be a department head at VAQ 131, and I just talked to my uh, my prospective XO, and I think that that squadron is probably going to adopt the same uh, model. Okay. So you only have so many heads. What What goes away? Does admin or safety No, nothing go goes away. away. Yeah, no, yeah. unfortunately, that change was on the back uh, of Renato, having to do double duty. Oh, so you were, you're both admin slash safety slash I'm not tactics. safety. No, we have, yeah. a, we have yeah, a great but safety. But you're the admin officer. I'm the admin officer in the tax department. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So really, that's that's what change takes, is that change take uh, it takes someone stepping up and saying, I'll go above and beyond okay. uh, to implement okay. the change fair, that fair I enough. think is desired. Right. But what I was going to say is, and this is cyclic and it's episodic and it depends on, you know, whatever happens. It seems like bad things come in threes or fives, like you're saying. You know, a, a spate of DUIs, um, a, a whole bunch of sexual harassment situations. Uh, mishap. Mishap. You know, guys popping positive, you know, uh, because you have one work center that thought they could get away with, uh, you know, doing cocaine or whatever. Um, so you're always going to have to deal with that. 
And depending on the day, that could be the skipper's primary focus, right? That could be what the CAG is or the wing commander is beating him up about on that particular day. It's not that he's absent moral courage. If he says very respectfully, CAG or Commodore, I can't talk to you about that right now because we're working on our tactics syllabus, right? So this is why being a CO is so hard. You've got to do both. It's not either or. Right, and I think too often what we see from weak leaders um, is they'll kind of punt on their tactical responsibility because they'll say, "I'm under the gun about these other things that are not about war fighting," and so you guys don't get it. You know, in the quiet moments during an admin or whatever, you go, "Hey, Skipper, how come we're always worried about this other crap?" You know, and he's like, "Well, what you guys don't get, and I'm just going to be candid with you right here. You know, Commodore's on my butt about blah blah blah, right?" But that's kind of a cop out. Because whatever the initiative is that you guys are seeing through, DUIs are always going to matter, and sexual harassment is not going to be accepted, and spousal abuse, and so forth and so on. Those are going to be part of zero tolerance, zero tolerance for drug, uh, you know, and guys popping positive. So that's in the mix. Absolutely. Right? So changing the culture doesn't mean eliminating those in the priority scheme. They're in there, right? So I think if if you guys are going to see this through... We, you know, I just my recommendation is you do not make it so these other things need to be eliminated or go away, or even become lower priority. You know, you have to do it in parallel. You know, heads and beds live in the same ecosystem as bombs on target. Absolutely. Right? So I don't know. It's just my unsolicited. I, since no, I'm I, the co-host here. I can talk whenever I want. To, to, and and I think I think there's there's no lack of agreement there. I mean, the, I think the other key about a lot of these things is how do you make those things. Um, not necessarily a part of your culture, which we're trying to eradicate a lot of those things, and that we should continue to have a zero tolerance because they are critically important to a strong fighting force. You have those corrosive behaviors in a fighting force. Uh, that's not good. And the, the other part of that is, which is difficult under man, is that it's difficult to get rid of people, right? It's di- difficult, difficult to get rid of the bad apples. And unfortunately, uh, the system and some of the ways that we do that, you know, I get it, there's due process. Uh, I understand that very well. However, we take, we take that a little too seriously, I think, with regards to the due process as it relates to these jobs. Hey, you got hired to do a job in a, in a corporation, you're really messing up, they're going to they're gonna cut you. Okay, football team, you decide to slack off on the uh, wind sprints at the end, you decide you don't want to be prioritized excellence, we're cutting you. You're not going to get on the bus and show up to the game on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So that's difficult in our organization. If we can find ways, tangible ways to empower leaders to be able to get rid of those folks, still prioritize those things because they're very important, uh, especially some of the other ones that you've named are critically important to, to eradicate those behaviors. So I think that's key. I was going to just uh, channel my inner Paul Kingsbury, the retired fleet master chief who joined our staff a year ago and is on the podcast often and is reaching out more and more to the enlisted community. And we've got more and more enlisted people uh, writing for us and, and guests on the podcast. So I'm just curious, as you guys try to change the culture within your squadron, what role is the Command Master Chief playing? What role are the senior leaders, senior enlisted leaders playing to, to do that? Critical. Yeah, I, I, I agree, critical. Um, quick anecdote from my upbringing. My, uh, as, a, as, a, as an aircraft division officer, one of the best uh, pieces of example or advice that I got from my maintenance officer and my commanding officer was, hey, blue folders aren't your job. And so, uh, you know, if I'm executing a flight schedule, let, let your chief and let your LPO do the blue folders and then backfill you. And I think often we try and just elevate work too high. You know, the, 
the uh, senior enlisted leadership in the Navy is probably unparalleled. It's, it's by far uh, the best. And in fact, uh, I, would, I would argue that probably look at any corporation and, and our senior enlisted leadership is better than the middle management of, of GE or, or you know, whatever. So, Absolutely. But what we don't do is we don't empower that senior enlisted leadership to make decisions, right? Everything's got to go through a lieutenant junior grade or an, L, an LT divo who has no idea what he's doing and he's just trying to keep his head above water. Why? All right, so that was the best piece of advice that, that I that I got. And that so really that, stuck that's with me. Tr- okay, so we could do that immediately, right? Yes, you don't absolutely. Need to wait and that's squadron anything. to squadron dependent, and that's yeah. how VAQ 141 operated. Is when we were okay. underway and we were executing flight ops, they didn't want to see blue folders in your hand, or yellow or red. Or, yeah, yeah, that was the same way. I was in uh, VAQ 135 with Commander Mike Jacuisi. He was a Stockdale winner. He did that, and uh, our com- our leadership in VAQ 133 is working very hard. That we have an incredible goat locker. Uh, they are uh, they are the backbone of our squadron. And uh, they really do run it, as everybody knows. Um, and so uh, that I think that's part of the culture. That's part of the step. But some of these other things are, are fixes. And kind of get away from the manpower piece, you know, how do we, how do we look to uh, prioritize war fighting? And, and, it, and it does, it's cultural. It's biases that we need to eradicate. But we're talking about an acquisition. So an acquisition, um, we're up against an enemy, as discussed earlier, that has no regard for intellectual property rights, has no regard for any of those, uh, those formalities. And it's speed to uh, capability for them, right? And <clears throat> at the same time, they're going to do anything they can take off the shelf to maximize whatever they do. And so I know that um, former CNO, uh, in his tenets, it was uh, looking to maximize warfighting capability, right? It was all about a lot of maximization, which means that you don't actually have to spend more money, right? You have to maximize what you have. And so there are assets in the inventory, not going to refer to type model series or otherwise, that have capabilities that they get stovepiped on that one type model series. And what we don't do, even, but yet at the same time, we don't have the same numbers of those aircrafts, ships, or otherwise as maybe our adversary could put up in the air or, or up out on the sea. So they're going to win the, the, you know, the, the terms of the salvo uh, game there because they just have a lot more, a lot more assets. So how do you win? I mean, a lot of different ways, but you got to maximize your what you what you have and, 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 and squeeze out every bit of it, right? Create interoperability amongst platforms and stop breaking down stovepipes, whether they're created by the actual companies in acquisition because they don't want to talk to another company, whether they're uh, necessarily caused by different communities, surface to aviation, which I think is certainly getting, uh, is, is there's a lot of work being done there, or alternatively, just within its own community, right? And so those kinds of things, I'm telling you right now that JOC this. And so we talk about, and it, this, what's crazy, I went from acquisition, I'm going to rapidly transition to retention. Because a JO sees this and they're flying an airplane or they're in a ship and they're like, why don't, can I just do this? If I did this, now there's more of us that can do this against their more numbers, right? And, and just kind of basic parlance. It doesn't make sense to them. So like, and what happens to a JO is over time, you keep seeing things that don't make sense. And you get disenfranchised. And that leads to frustration. Right? It leads to frustration. It, you hear the CNO say, we're fighting first. I want you to maximize those resources. But then somewhere, there's a frozen middle out there that was going to be a paper. There's a frozen middle out there. It's probably 05s to 07s. I, I don't know. But it, it exists. And, and they have their own biases, stovepipes, maybe status quo are trying to ma- be maintained. And that's not all of them. This is an overgeneralization. But we have those barriers that can quickly be fixed if we decide to maximize our resources so that we can increase our lethality uh, much more quickly without having to spend precious taxpayer dollars and without, without the folly of 
eroding organizational trust by having an unaligned vision as it relates to warfighting all the way down to the deck plates so you get to retain that talent and then ultimately not waste it and, and have all of a sudden, you know, this, this really well-trained naval officer in all of these incredible weapon systems that our taxpayers paid for all of a sudden out there working either for an airline or alternatively uh, working for some other company and getting to use all their skills. So that's a lot of where we're trying to go. We think that that is a, a, it is a genesis of what was the reform movement in the late 1970s and the early 80s as it relates to a lack of maximization of acquisition. But it affected so many things because people saw it. And it really, really broke down their trust in the organization. Uh, and it doesn't mean that people don't, their heart's in the right place. They're just we're getting in our own way. And that's a lot of the conversation. Well, I think change takes, let's just say, five to ten years. Uh, what, what you guys are wrestling with now is the immediate fallout of 9-11. So 9-11, we had to man the fleet. And so standards went down at accession sources. And that's why you deal with... Um, an increase in health and welfare issues, you know, DUIs and other behavioral issues. We just had, speaking of Paul Kingsbury, he co-hosted an episode a few ago about warrior toughness, which was an article um, in a recent issue of Proceedings. Um, so at the accession source at Great Lakes, they are doing fantastic work to raise the bar in terms of quality and then set expectations better in terms of what the rigor demanded in a fleet command. So I dare say you will get a better quality individual when you guys become CEOs, right? So this takes some, some years to affect this outcome. At the same time, the machine is listening to those who came before you as department heads five years ago, let's say three to five years ago, who were complaining about, hey, as I look up, I don't see anything I want to be, so here's my letter, right? And so they're, they're finally reacting. This is the PERS 43 kind of thing, like, oh, okay, I have to screen everybody for department because there's nobody left. So why do we even have a screen? It's like meaningless. And so these mechanisms are starting to accommodate the valid and productive criticisms that existed before, but it doesn't happen instantaneously. So you guys are change agents, in a very meaningful way. But this, you know, as you talk, I love that concept, the frozen middle. And to, I think it's 0506, right? So 0506. So, you know, I think the most important, at Centers of Excellence, the most important rank is lieutenant. And the CEOs are also very talented. They're usually alums of being training officers. And so they can be hands-off. In your average fleet command, the most important rank, uh, billet is the CO. He sets the tone. He's, he's the guy. So you guys can come in as idea guys and imagine that your skipper had said, hey, that's awesome, um, Renata, but uh, I just need you to do admin. You know, we already got an op, so we're not doing any tactics thing. You know, what are you even talking about, right? So if he crushed you at that point, your, your motivation to be an innovator would have just been stymied. And you'd probably be drafting your letter so you can go to a startup and actually, you know, be a real entrepreneur. This is what happens. It's not a new new phenomenon, right? So I'm thinking of, you know, those ranks, you know, are what are going to hold you back. And so it, it takes almost a generation. So, that, you know, guys who are currently lieutenants, when they become 05s, now maybe you have fertile ground for this kind of change at the unit level. You know, this is, I, I, I'm just... 
I want to make sure that expectations are proper in terms of how fast and how these changes come about, right? Yeah, and and you have to do it smartly, right? Uh, we can't just blanket statement say that all 05s and 06s are on our way. However, uh, what we lack yeah. right now, and I'm, I'm glad that you actually brought up the article about mental fortitude because I really enjoyed it. And what I enjoyed most about it is how they how they took a scientific process. You know, they involved the psychologists and, and they brought in you know scientific theory, and they they said, hey, here's how here's how a human works, right? Uh, they were able to quantify to some extent human performance and that's really kind of at the core of what we're talking about as regards to training and then how that gets into kind of enabling or breaking open barriers for the, the 05s, the 06s is if you can tangibly say, hey sir, here is the level of performance that our operators have to meet, period, dot, no ifs, ands, or buts about it because it's, it's, it's slaved and it's defined by the threat just like we do in acquisition. If you could say, hey, here's the level of performance we have to meet and here's how we are and you can show that delta just like we do with flight hours programs or safety programs or, you know, PRT and, and you know, alcohol awareness programs and all these other programs, we can quantify where we are in terms of readiness. You know, what's our medical readiness? Like, who cares what our medical readiness is, right? I'm healthy, you're healthy. Uh, we don't do well, that with... Until, some, we until care. the majority <laughs> yeah. of the, the squadron I'm the admin, no, I care about it. Yeah, yeah well, you, that's <laughs> true. And there's, yeah. a, there's an who award cares? somewhere. Yeah. There's an award somewhere. There's an award for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and good luck if you're like, so I officially don't care anymore about this. It's like, <laughs> sorry, what? What was that thing you just said? Yeah. Um, so if we can quantify the level of performance required uh, from the training side of it, that would actually help our, our senior leaders, the 05s, the 06s, uh, to break down some of that barrels because now they can tangibly see where their operators are. Uh, and then those same Mets, the same metrics are, are kind of what we are referring to in the human resourcing and then in the acquisition as well. So it, it all feeds each other. It's man, it's train, it's equipped, it's culture. It's all interrelated. Uh, you can't just tackle any one. You have to tackle it all, and you have to do it by data-driven solutions. Love it. Love it. Yeah. This has been another great conversation, uh, sort of wrapping up our tailhook series uh, out here in uh, in Reno. So the conversation was with Lieutenant Commanders Renato DePaulis and Andrew Gennetti. They are from VAQ-133 out at uh, NAS Whidbey Island, and uh, it's great having you guys stop by the booth. Thanks for writing for Proceedings. We look forward to you guys taking this idea and putting it into paper uh, and, and sending it to us uh, probably in a, within the next month or two, right? Oh, boy. Okay. No pressure. Awesome. We'll get it all See, no, no good idea goes unpunished, right? It's like, all right, That's lesson number one. Yeah. Gentlemen, I, I certainly appreciate your time. All right. Well, again, we're wrapping up now our tailhook coverage. It's been a blast to be out here. Um, we'll see you guys next week back from headquarters in Studio B or C in, in Annapolis uh, in Beach Hall. And until then, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll see you next time. Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman applies electromagnetic maneuver warfare to seamlessly target and combat enemy threats across any domain. By leveraging traditional spectrum-based and next-generation innovations, they're giving your forces a decisive advantage. That's why they're a leader in transformative airborne EW. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com slash EW.